When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. New Havel H6 and Jolien has arrived. Receive a seven-year warranty at Werribee Havel. Higgins a hand pass to Guthrie to Close, who's close enough. He hand passes to Radigalia, back to Close. They chain it up, and he charges into goal, Brad Close, and puts it through. Cam Guthrie, lazy kick to Zach Guthrie, and it's one away by Steele, who rushes into the pocket, opens the angle, and steers it home for a goal. Let's fly near the teeth of goal. Hawkinson close across the front. He dropped the mark having got there. Hawkins to Cam Guthrie who snaps it through. Cats lead again. Crawley out of the back pocket. Veers around to the right. Almost smothered. In fact, it was smothered by Jordan Clark. Minigola on the pickup. Gorgeous shot at goal. Killed it in quite beautifully. As the siren sounds, it is an evening full of laments for St Kilda. And the Cats run them down. They bang the four points and march just that little further on into the top four. Geelong by 21 points. I think we were a bit lucky, to be honest. That was our observation in that they were all over us early. Um, couldn't kick straight. Could have really put us under some pressure. Um, and the, but the second half was a bit more in our favour. I thought that's, I think, one of the marks of a, of a good team. One that can you know, not be playing all that well, but sort of find a way to get the game back on our terms. The Cats eke out victory on Friday night, having been granted a first-half reprieve. Veteran defender Lockie Henderson joins us after a night under siege. Into the middle, critical oh. ball. Two Cats crash in. Butler read it. This has to be a St Kilda goal. It squirts to King. He stumbled. He bumbled. And he fumbled. And the Cats through two. He come away. King is wasting no time. The Demons from earlier in the night, do they haunt him? Yes, they do. He hits the post. Max King distraught with himself. Put his jumper over his head and he wants to find a hole. Footy clubs can be interesting. We've got a lot of people there and everybody can jump on one person and yeah, get too much information. So we'll just keep going through the process that we are with, you know, Ruffy will work with him and, you know, Benny Robbins does a fair bit as well. So we'll just stick to that and, you know, he doesn't need too many voices. Young forward Max King personifies the Saints' chronic case of self-sabotage. No four points, a critical injury, and frustrations with the umpiring was the sum total of it for Brett Ratton. Part of being out and about late is you have to deal with people who are intoxicated or being provo- provocative, and that's and if you get there, you've got to walk away. Once again, I don't condone violence, but the reality is, you know, put anyone in that situation, they're going to stand up for their partner and their mates. We're not in the race for silverware this year, unlikely next, but from 23 on, if we've got this right, we're in for another decade of very good competitive football. It's tough, there's a trim with a, with a knife and there's a, 
there's a cut with a chainsaw and um, I'm not sure we've got the mix just right. Absolutely I'd love one, yeah, why wouldn't we? If we're in a situation where that mechanism can be activated, I, yeah, I'm all for it. The pressure points of a tense week with the fortunes of individuals, clubs and the competition more broadly in play. Do the winless kangaroos need help? Chief Executive Ben Amafio joins us from Tassie. This is Crunch Time. It'll be an unfulfilling Saturday morning for Saints fans who might have scoured the papers for the connoisseurs' stats. The expected scoring had the Saints victorious by seven points. That will probably only make it feel worse. The operation was a success, but the patient died, they say. So the Saints walk away with nothing but frustration. Jared Waitley with you on Crunch Time. The man most in demand, and don't think we <laughs> won't be getting to that as this show unfolds. Justin Lepich, welcome. Oh, Jared, thank you. I'm looking forward to this today. Finish your work is the phrase. Well, yes, I mean, exactly. And when you talk about St Kilda, as a coach, the most frustrating thing is what part of the game is yours and what part of the game is the players to deliver? And it was very evident last night. It was really the players' failure to execute and finish their work, as simple as it is, that cost and killed to the win. So how does – they would have felt pretty sick about it last night. Uh, and we obviously saw in Max King the, the he was symptomatic of it. It was, and it's funny because a week earlier we sat here and we did the Gold Coast game and they were pretty poor up until that last quarter and thinking, is this the game that if they lose this game against Gold Coast, they're going to really cop it? So I actually thought, it's funny, you have a win when you play poorly and you have a loss when you play well. So footy's a funny game like that. So I think they walk away okay given the fact that the only thing they didn't deliver on is their skill execution. Not always funny ha-ha, hey? No, no, no. Funny, no ha-ha. <laughs> Daisy Pierce had the best view in the house close to it last night. Welcome, Daisy. G'day, G. Hi, guys. Looking forward to today. Yeah, mature win from the Cats, I think. I mean, they turned up at a venue that they're not very familiar with. They don't get many looks at Marvel Stadium and came up against a side who had to win at 4-4 four and four and with the draw they've got in the back half. They were desperate. And aside from their kicking, I felt like that was – the best of the Saints of what we've seen so far this year. The Cats, it was whether it was coached or it just materialised, there was a high-risk nature to the way they went about that that first quarter that we're not used to seeing from the Cats. They went fast, flying past for the handball receives, biting off the high-risk kick. And then there was a bit of an adjustment beyond that, maybe an element of, all right, they've brought their best in terms of their pressure. We have to respect it and have to have to go a bit more safe here and sometimes you just have to find a way to win and they did that embraced the grind and got it done it would have made for an interesting night if St Kilda had had the four or five goal lead at halftime that they might have absolutely um obviously they should have been up by about that much and that just builds scoreboard pressure but it would have also forced Geelong to keep playing quick (laughs) because they would have had to run down a score but you just leave the door ajar for a mature, experienced team like Geelong and they're going to keep finding a way to come back at you and, and that's what St Kilda did. Sam Edmonds, welcome. Morning, Jared. Daisy, Justin, we better make use of Justin while we've got him, Jared. I know <laughs> we're going to... I was frustrated for the Saints last night. I mean, they should have buried the Cats in the first half, much like Fraser Gehrig demolished and buried that pie. Have you ever seen a pie <laughs> disappear as quick as it did in the hands of the mitts of the G train? Great to see him back at the footy. Two bites and it was gone, Jared. 
Bit of controversy too, though, with the Saints in the sense that uh, they've got a couple of injuries to deal with as well. So uh, we'll get to this later. But no, Brad go Cratch- go now. They're so important. Let's, let's get them on the table. Well, Brad Cratch, I think, has really found form in the last couple of weeks. The recruit from Adelaide, of course. He's got a depressed fracture of the cheekbone, which is not the first time he's had that injury. So he knew straight away, I'm told, Jared, that you could almost see it on the vision too at home, the dent in the side of the face from the head clash with Tom Atkins. But... They're confident he's going to play next week. It's almost like a bit of panel beating, uh, Leopard. They go in the side of the face and just they just <laughs> pop it back out, if you don't mind. It's quite amazing. Not so sure where we're going to see Rowan Marshall in a few days' time as well. They're really nervous about this, the Saints. Understandably, the foot stress issues in the preseason, the plantar fascia issue on his return game against West Coast, and now he'll be scanned again. He's been scanned regularly since the preseason. They say they've had no hotspot issues. They're hoping that remains the case. And in, in to use their phrase, hopefully just a little bit more grumbling, ongoing grumbling in regards to the plantar fascia. So that these are the most important scans of St Kilda's year because they look like St Kilda when Marshall and Ryder are there together and the rest flows from that for me. It's scary, the feet. It is one part of the body that you just, you know, there's such minute bones and... Only little things can happen, and we saw even what happened with James Hurd. He was out for a very long period of time with his. And the, yeah, I don't know if you've got any experience with with bad foot issues. I'm glad it was one injury that I never had to deal with because yeah, they can be finicky and fiddly, and, it can, and they can potentially ruin careers if they they don't get get done and heal properly. Yeah. So they say the plantar fascia, Jared, once it snaps, that's obviously yep. a good thing. But the problem is in Rowan's case is that the foot pad, if you like, there's some real tenderness and soreness there. So while he has completely ruptured the plantar fascia, there's some ongoing, and you could see last night, apparently during the week he's, he's fine, he can train fully. But when it comes to the intensity of a game, that running, that leaping, mm. he just struggles to put weight on it. It's a big loss, regardless of how long he's out for. They need to bank wins now, St Kilda, to salvage their season. And you'd imagine, given their history, they're going to play it safe with him. And it, the, the Ryder-Marshall combination is St Kilda's point of difference. When you when you think about sides' weapons, it seems like that's it. it. Not only did it give them ascendancy in the middle of the ground, where they were dominant in that first half, but also the ability of Marshall and Ryder at times to push forward. It stretched the Cats. Yeah, it does give them that ability. They love to run forward, and we've spoken about it at times. Do they run a little too far forward? But if you've got that dominant ascendancy in the air that does push the ball your way, it actually just plays into your game plan. So you worry if they do lose that and the ball starts just – it's only a few metres either side of the contest going the other way. Will they will they be caught offside, which we, which was a bit of a criticism of, of them a few weeks ago. So you're right, Daisy. They're so important to that, uh, that mix. So they came to Friday night to be – Really assessed, I think. The last time they were on prime time, it was the Thursday night against Richmond, and they were horrid by their by their own review. So, and you do make the great point, Leper. They didn't play well last week, and they won. They played well last night. I, they lose the game. I don't know whether they lose players. They didn't lose many admirers. In fact, I think for the first time, people might have gone, "Well, if that that that's the St Kilda we're looking for to progress from last year." To this year, but Daisy's point is right. As the draw gets so tough for them in the back end of the year, that a lot of their fortunes are to be shaped in these coming weeks. Eight of their last thirteen are against top eight sides. Yeah, that doesn't help, does it? <laughs> like, and, and that's it too. Like some of the sins in the early part of the year can catch catch up with you later in the year. That the, the teams you should beat, you don't do it. That's that's when the difference at times between you missing the finals, getting in the finals, or even making it into the top four or getting a home final. These these are the mistakes that come through at the end of the season, unfortunately. But it could be that year for the Saints, unfortunately, the year of missed opportunity. I'm just it's sort of got that, that that whiff about it for me. It's you know the sort of they had injuries early, um, then they're losing close games, and they win games they shouldn't, and, and so on and so forth. There's been nothing really consistent about their year that that it was last season. So 
I don't think it's a write-off for that whole group completely, but it's just sort of it's just not tracking smoothly for them. So, and you said you got to, and often teams, and we talk about Richmond second half of the year, they'll build in the back half. But the worry is they've got to build in the back half with that fixture you talk about, Daisy playing all those difficult teams. It's it's going to be a real challenge for them. There is no contagion in footy quite like mm. poor kicking and how it can get a grip of a team. So they missed their first three shots, which all should have been goals to set a tone. And then Max King becomes bedeviled with it. I thought of Steve Smith last night. So Max King found his hands last night, but the trouble was he lost his feet at at exactly the same time as his marking was superb. He took 10 marks. The vast majority of them were contested. Um, Jacob Wiedering had said during the week in the studio that it's his length. And it was as he could sort of just get up above Jack Henry, he was just incapable of stopping him, but you would just see him rise up through these packs and get his hands to him, and he became that, that sort of one-clunk player. It's such a pity that he, he leaves with such a sick feeling at one goal five. Oh, it's a p- pity for Saints fans and Max King, but as a neutral onlooker, I mean, let's hope he gets this right because this guy is going to get a lot of shots at goal. 13-18 on the season, and there's five out of bounds on top of that as well. So really, 13-23. And he will. Mm. He will. He'll he'll get there. Part of it would be technique, part of it the mental battle. But it, it has a huge impact on a game. It not only builds pressure on the next person taking the shot, knowing how much you need a goal and reward for effort, but also the impact it has up the ground. I mean, a lot of their looks at goal were being built off Elite pressure, they brought the heat and, and they were beating Geelong around the ball. If you get reward and kick a goal off the back of it, it fuels you to, to, to keep cracking in with that frenzied intensity when you next get the next opportunity. If you're not getting that vindication and reward for effort, maybe you start to get a bit deflated and affects what you're doing around the ball. I thought there were some good signs still. Their hands were really good through the contest. They did give themselves good opportunity. They defended the turnover much better. They were the worst team in the competition getting scored against from turnover and only 35 points against last night. So there's some good signs to their game that they can walk away and go, look, we have ticked off some things and we can take into any opposition any week and still be highly competitive. And that's all you really want. So when you do face those difficult oppositions, you can say, look, we, we kept the Cats to 35 points from turnover. That's pretty impressive. Let's now build on that. Their tackling was... Um, unbelievable as well. We saw last week um, Damien Hardwick was disappointed at how Geelong were able to fight their way through the front of the stoppage and how much broken tackles hurt the Tigers. Well, they were sticking last night in Kilda. You saw Geelong trying Mm. to fight their way through and it just didn't eventuate because they they were so good at nailing them and making sure of it. I know Brett Ratton wasn't happy yes, that they didn't get the reward. Happy. but And there's a couple little, maybe little throws in there, Jared. did we see? No, the, no, the, there was a lot. Yeah. Like, the umpiring was such a curiosity last night because you could tell through the first 12 or 14 minutes that they weren't going to pay very much. And it's ended up 13 free kicks to 12. Which 25 wasn't even close to where last night should have landed in the natural flow of things. And the games are better off when umpires pay the free kicks that are there, holding the ball, deliberate out of bounds, the 50-metre penalties, that group just seemed intent not to pay free kicks. And they were fixated on the 15-metre kick. Yes. And I wonder whether they were fixated on that to the expense of doing the rest of the job. You you really noticed that at the ground, the amount of times you heard the umpire Mm. yelling out, play on not 15. You wonder whether there was a tape shown to the umpire's after the Geelong game last week where they did kick their way through or, or whether a review of the round popped up and showed, all right, we're paying too many marks that aren't there. It did seem like 
a focus. 85 tackles they laid for three free kicks, Jared. And yeah. Brett Radden so That's said, a bad equation. Well, is yeah, that you, Alistair Clarkson has used that before. That's not cause and effect, but the flow of the night is a much better indication of that, is why? Why were they so reluctant to pay holding the ball when a player would try to barge through, get tackled, brought, regain his footing, run into the second tackle and not be penalised holding the ball? The dropping, just stone-cold dropping of the ball. The throws were all happening on the blind side of the umpire, which you're going to get to in a moment, Lepper. But just the, there was a, there was a pattern from the very start. We were talking about it in our broadcast after 12 or so minutes that they weren't going to pay the free kicks that we would anticipate would be paid. It would be interesting to talk to an umpire and work out, all right, if you if you realise you've made a few maybe borderline, could be errors on holding the ball, do you have to stick true to that for consistency throughout the night? I, I mean, you hear that said that, oh, well, they, they weren't great, but at least it was consistent. Does that, does that cause what yeah. we saw last night where – where they acknowledge they've made a few errors, but they have to stick with it and then overlook things that they know because there's been precedents earlier in the night. Yeah, they did stick with the trend of the game. I guess in Kilda's goal kicking, they all they stuck with each other too for the whole night <laughs> and copycatted each other. But I, I guess um, the one thing, and I was watching it last night thinking, oh my gosh, this, this reminds you as a coach sometimes when you focus on one thing throughout the week, let's say you want to kick long down the line and that method's not quite working, so you train it all week. And then the first play of the game, there's this obvious switch on and you can take it to the other side of the ground and score and they just blindly kick it because that's all you coached all week. And, and they don't they forget every other aspect of the game still. And you've got to send the message down, no, you still coach, still play the whole game. Like, it's just if we get in this scenario, um, it just seemed to me, as you said, Jared, they really were fixated so solely on that 15 metre. And I don't know why mm. because it's actually a part of the game that keeps the ball moving, if anything. So if you're going to be, you know hard on anything be harder on the holding the balls get the ball moving have less stoppages so yeah anyway that's um it was an interesting night this was brett ratton in the aftermath i don't know just i I feel for the players you know to have 85 and get three holding the ball you know um yeah be interesting to have a look at how those balls got distributed too that'd be um yeah yeah i mean it's on the top it seemed like you know players were just dropping and throwing it and Nothing was happening. I think you're on something. Is that is that one of the key parts of the frustration? You said it. I didn't say it. It must be frustrating you. Well, it it looked. I mean, to me, it looked like it. So. Yeah. Well, if that's if that's a handball, then jeepers. Anyway. um, Yeah. Good poker he, face. Yeah, I think, he did, I think he did quite well to make his he point. Did. I, I, I love I, it when you use the journo to get your dirty, <laughs> dirty work out. Oh, you said that, did you? Oh, yeah. they're, they're getting more awkward by the week, these post-match press comments. But just on the 85 and 3, and you mentioned Alistair Clarkson. I've got him down. It was almost 12 months ago to this round that he was so outspoken. In that game against North Melbourne, he highlighted it very, very similarly. 69 tackles against the Kangaroos. They didn't get one. And the last time a coach like him was so outspoken on this, he almost single-handedly drove one of the biggest rule adjustments we've seen with holding the ball. And she was red hot for the next month, Jared. where there was some horrific decisions made off the back of that. So maybe be careful what you wish for. Your point's right, though. It's not about quantity. You don't get a free kick for every five tackles. No, but the law of averages says 85 and three. It doesn't stack up. The only defence that I'd have for the umpires, and I'm just going off, I haven't gone back and watched the replay, and I was watching from the little boundary riding dugout, which must be said is one of the worst places to watch the game from. But there seemed quite a few where the ball was stripped, the ball dislodged in the tackle. So whether you go back and maybe 10 of them, the the ball went live and St Kilda were able to turn it over from a 
a stripped ball in their tackle. Yeah, and that will account for some of them, absolutely. There are others where the players, they're so conditioned now to where the umpires are on the inside that they can face the crowd and throw the ball. Yeah. And the crowd sees it and the commentators see it and then you glance at the umpires and go, well, they've got no chance Mm. of seeing it. And the players are absolutely exploiting that at the moment. Yeah, there's one of the one of the great loggerheads between coaches, and I think the umpires is the umpiring positioning. There's, and it's something that I know we've spoken to the AFL about when I was at, at Richmond. That you, anyone that watches the game and going to the games today, you just watch the positioning of the umpires. Generally, all three of them are about forty meters apart through the middle part of the ground. Let's just say center circle, center half forwards, and half back in in random terms, and they move up and down from there. The problem with that is the game goes around them, so they can't see every part of it. So they're never really on the outside of the game or the boundary side of the game looking in. Um, they're, they're often you know, running backwards, swiveling their head, doing all – you can't take in all that information. And at times, too, they're actually in the position where you want to hit that short 45 to, to the corridor. So for a player, sometimes they'll look in and they might be have a spare player, but the umpire's right next to them. So they think the umpire's actually a opposition or a defender quickly, and then they – might second-guess themselves, and that might be the difference between the game moving through the corridor as well with all that extra congestion through the corridor. So, look, I, I don't have the answer right now, but all I know is they fill the corridor, and I, it does two things. It doesn't help the flow of the game. But it also doesn't help them seeing what's happening on the outside of the game. I thought so, you were about to say boundary arms should be able to make it. Well, yeah, well that, that. that's a good call. Like, why not? I mean, we're at the point now where you've got to have, and if, if the NFL have a really good model, maybe they have one too many, but they have – people outside of the game looking at specific things too. So that end zone umpire, he should be at the back of the defensive bubble, basically looking at all the players, those six forwards and backs at that end of the ground. Are they holding? All those sorts of things. But we have tend to have, even at a stoppage, all three umpires hovering around the stoppage as opposed to looking at outside um, on the podium, so to speak. Yeah, well, the solution may be, Sammy, like a perimeter umpire even that, that runs the boundary line, whether it's a boundary umpire making field umpire decisions or just a perimeter umpire because the only thing more annoying as a player than the opposition getting away with the throw because the umpire is blindsided is an umpire guessing because the Mm. umpire is blindsided. That is more frustrating than, you know, someone getting away with a throw and you going, all right, good on you. You knew where the umpire was and you milked it. You have to see it to call it. And yeah, guessing is a When no-no. you had a quick look last night, you know, they got no chance of seeing that. And the players are, are, are very cleverly exploiting that at the moment. Lockie Henderson's going to join us from the Cats and we'll broaden out. There are a great many topics on the table for us for crunch. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time today for the Western Werribee Auto Group, Werribee Haval Stocks, the all-new H6 and Jollyon for your convenience. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster, available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's Corn. Crunch time after Geelong's 21-point win over St Kilda last night. Justin Lepage, Daisy Pearce, Sam Edmund and Jared Waitley. We are joined. Our interviewers for 40 Winks. Any size mattress is the price of a single at 40 Winks. Veteran defender with the Cats, Lockie Henderson, is with us. Lockie, great to have you on Crunch Time. Thanks for having me, guys. Did you have that sensation of being under siege for a decent portion of last night? 
Yeah, it was a bit that way. Um, the uh, the Saints came out and played some really good footy, so it was uh, we were definitely under siege and um, got away with the four points, which is nice. Did their height stretch you at various times? Um, I don't think it stretches. I think they just got some some very good players. King's obviously coming coming through. What's his second year now and going to be a very good player. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I lost uh, Marshall um, after half time. But yeah, no, they they just played some good footy and uh, made it hard for us. Do you feel a little lucky that they kicked poorly when they had the flow of the game? Yeah, look, you always do. I think I said to uh, Daisy last night, Marshall took a took a mark on me in the three minutes into the game and missed the goal, which is always nice. So, um, yeah, look, we, we did get a little bit lucky probably. Um, but in the end, we got the four points, so we take that and um, move on. Hey, Lockie Lepper here, mate. Congratulations on the win. I just feel your career's getting better. Every year you get delisted and relisted and re-rookied. <laughs> so, well done, mate. Great work lasting the, the, the time you have. You're doing a great job. We have just commented before about the umpires and how the 15-metre mark looked like it was pretty hot last night. Did you hear anything from them directly instructing that you're not paying it? Or is there anything on field that sort of you felt that? No, yeah, I, I actually noticed it a, a fair bit too. Um, it was reasonably obvious, I suppose. But, yeah, it just was one of those things that they, they were hot on it last night and, and, and made the game a little bit more free-flowing. Um, but, yeah, no, they, we didn't really get told anything or didn't hear anything, but we just had to had to sort of go with it, go with the flow and, and, um, and get it done in the game. Did you feel like also that, I mean, we commented also the free kick count was very low and there's some comments by Brett Ratton after the game about the, the dropping the ball. Did you feel that out there on the game as well, that, that the, the free kicks weren't getting paid? Um, no, I'm not great at noticing that stuff, to be honest, Lepper. Uh, I'm too worried about trying to get, not get goals kicked on me. Um, <laughs> no, not really. Look, it's, it's, it's the way it goes. It's, it's, it changes every week. Sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't. And, and, and last, last night at... Um, it was a bit of a different game and it was a fast free-flowing game and that's all right and next week it might be different. So, um, we'll, as I said to start, we'll, uh, we'll take what we got last night and, and learn from it and move on. Lockie, well done again on the win. Um, last night at times, it did look like you are a bit stretched down back and the, the question kept getting asked, at least by us externally, is it time to put Blitzarves back? The answer we kept getting was that he does get back in the role that he plays up the ground. What what is that role, and and what's your understanding? How does he help you out? Um, Blitzy just does a bit of everything. Um, his running power is obviously well known, and he can sort of get around the ground really well. He he's doing all awesome for us up the ground. He'll do awesome for us behind the ball um, if and when he goes back there. So, look, yeah, I I, I don't feel like we were stretched. I feel like they played some really good footy and, and made it tough for us. And, They've got some really good players down there. So, um, yeah, look, Blitzy, Blitzy will just do what Blitzy does and, and that's just plug holes for us everywhere, to be honest. Yeah, one thing was noticing Blitzar's getting back, but the other thing I was noticed was Henderson pushing forward. Now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, how a few times I look up and go, what is he doing down that end of the field? And I know in the past it's been a bit of a kicking strategy for the Cats where, you know, the key goes out and then bolts forward. Is that what it's about or are you just getting a little bit excited? Uh, I think I'm getting a little bit excited, Lepper. There was one that I reckon I was wide open and Dunks actually uh, shanked the kick, which is rare for Dunks. Um, but, yeah, no, I sort of found myself down there a little bit, um, which is probably a bit too much. I might get a, a bit of a telling off uh, the first couple of days next week. Um, but, no, it's uh, it's just... it's If I see the space and I've, I've got the, uh, the cover behind me, I've got the licence to, to get forward, which is nice. So, um, didn't come off last night, but I thought I, thought I was in some okay spots. Um, last night, so hopefully, hopefully, when I look back, I still. 
Lockie, uh, Sam Edmund here. Appreciate your time this morning. I wanted to ask you about the venue, Marvel Stadium. Now, Geelong obviously didn't play there last year, only two times there 2019, once in 2018. So you don't frequent the place too often. The surface, players slipping over a lot, particularly in the first half. How do you find playing there and keeping your feet? Yeah, I don't think I worked out. I don't think I've played there since 2017, which uh missing most of 18 and 19. Um, yeah, I, it was interesting. I... I I've actually pulled up pretty well from the game, um, so it wasn't that. It was just I actually slipped over a couple of times too, which which cost me actually. It was just one of those things. I think it's just getting used to it. Um, you obviously can't wear the screwings anymore, so that makes mm. it a little bit harder. Um, but yeah, I, I I actually don't know how to answer that one. It was just, it's just sort of it, maybe it's a little bit slippery. The surface is a bit different. You just got to get used to it. Um, we haven't played there a lot, so that we just weren't used to it. Maybe that, mate, but I don't. I don't have a really good answer to that one. Yeah. besides just trying to get used to it. And did you wear screw-ins before? Obviously, the AFL came down really hard on on footwear and what was permissible. Obviously, in the wake of the Isaac Quain or that nasty injury last year. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was sort of I chopped and changed a little bit because I got a few things wrong with my feet. Um, but certain games, I definitely did wear the screw-ins. Um, but yeah, obviously, don't do, don't do that anymore. So. What was your view of that? Did you think that was just such a freak, freakish incident with the, the young Collingwood defender that, that perhaps the AFL jumped a bit quick on that and that in an ideal world you should be able to still wear the, the screw-ins, which are, are rounded off, it must be said? Yeah, yeah. I think you can still wear the, the plastic ones. Um, if you go and get plastic ones, I'm pretty sure you can still wear them. Um, as far as I know, I might be, it might yep. be told differently. Yeah. Um, but, no, look, if, if it's going to save... And even a freak injury like that, like it's a, it was a pretty bad injury, then then that's fine. I, personally, I don't think it's a huge difference. Um, the screw-ins to not, like some other players might be a bit different. Um, I just liked it because it just gave me peace of mind uh, more than ever. But I'm actually not minding just having the mould. It doesn't overly bother me too much, um, to be honest. You didn't come off the ground last night, Lockie, which isn't unusual for a key defender. And you have just told us you pulled up all right. So you're going all right for a, an old boy. But what sort of a difference does it make 100% game time when your team can lock it in your front half and you get a bit of time to have a breather and set up versus a game last night where you have to do a lot of defending and it's a bit end-to-end? Yeah, I was actually surprised. I think I've um, been a few rounds in now. I've sort of I've felt a bit. I've been playing pretty high game, game time most of the uh most of the year. Um, after sort of quarter time, it, it wasn't as fast as maybe what it, um, or maybe I was just being a bit lazy, but it, it didn't feel like I was as cooked as um, what I was in the first quarter. So I sort of slowed down a little bit. Um, but yeah, in, into your point, if we can lock it in a bit more like we did last last week, it makes my life a lot easier. And the less rotations I can get, the, more, the better it is for our midfielders and forwards, uh, high forwards to just um, get on and off as, as, be- as much as they can. So I'll try and stay out there as, fair, as long as I can. I've been playing a pretty high game time, which is good. How are you finding life without um, Harry Taylor? Nine rounds in, Lock? Yeah, it's, um, it's odd. I, it's, it's definitely different. He actually, when he came down to do the lap of honour um, a couple of weeks ago, he, was, uh, he actually greeted me. He was sitting at the door. He was the doorman for a little while, which is <laughs> classic Harry. And it just felt right having him back, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, look, it's, it's always sad to see a, a, a player of his um, standing and the way he's played the game and how much he sort of gives back to the people around him uh, leave. And I, I always loved playing with him, um, which was awesome. But... Life moves on and we get old and it'll be my time soon to, uh, to, to move on as well. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely miss him, but um, got some good young players down there, which I'm enjoying playing with.
just on that, Lockie, obviously Leopard just touched on your Lazarus style uh, comeback going back <laughs> a period of time, which has been well documented. But when do you when do you sit down again with your management and plot a new deal? And, and where do you see yourself going from here in terms of your longevity? Because as, as has been discussed, you're going as good as you ever have. Will you go for the three-year deal yeah. or will you just settle for two? <laughs> three and a trigger? <laughs> Uh, um, no, nah, look, I'll give the political answer, but it's the honest answer as well, which is I, I'm not really too fast. I've, I've talked about it late in the year, the last two years, and I'm really happy just to talk about it again. Into I'm not in the position to, to need to talk about it um, any earlier than that. Um, I'm just going to keep keep enjoying and keep trying to play good footy and keep the body um, healthy um, is the plan, and then just talk about it at the end of the year, later in the year. If they want to come to me before that, um, I'm happy to sort of have that chat, but I'm in no rush. And, what will be, will be. And just going back to you, oh, Ryan Abbott, the big thank you, because it was his move, of course, to St Kilda that was seen to have opened up the vacancy at Geelong because that, you, you were a month into retirement, you're overseas. Is, is Ryan <laughs> the man that needs to be thanked for all this? Yeah, I think it was. Like, I, don't, I don't know if it didn't feel like that at the time to me, but maybe it was. I didn't Because I'm not a big reader or watcher of much mm. AFL news. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I might have to sit down with him and just buy him a steak and a bottle of red and say thank you. Um, <laughs> Because, yeah, I was. I was in retirement. I had four weeks where I was an AFL footballer, which yeah, good. maybe just made, made me, uh, yeah, maybe, made me relax. And I did actually relax really nicely in that four, four, four weeks. Because as Leopard knows, I'm a bit of a stress head. He got me early on in my career. Um, so it was, a, it was a nice four weeks. You might still be stuck in Africa then, if not for Ryan Abbott. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I, I thought that's where I would have been um, at the end of that year when I, uh, when I came back. I would have gone over there and then COVID would have hit and I probably would still be over there. Sliding doors, remarkable. Lockie, it's great to have some time with you on Crunch Time, man. Yes, good luck for all that's to come. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. Lockie Henderson after the Cats' 21-point win. Don't rush on signing. I reckon wait yes. for the All-Australian squad to be announced. <laughs> he, he seems great. like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. But was he a stress head in oh, he your was. time yeah. early on? Yeah, he, he definitely was a, yeah. a stressor of the game. But obviously, as you get older, you get better at, at, at managing mm. that part. But, yeah, I said I coached him for a year or two in his first couple of years, which is always probably the most stressful time for a kid. All right, we'll broaden out from last night next. So the political manoeuvring at Collingwood, how many clubs are in the queue for Lepper? And and what order has he got them in? The AFLW season change, the expansion debate, and all the other topics of the week. Hawthorne, North Melbourne, Carlton, all on the table for us as the program unfolds. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Open seven days. Book your test drive at Werribee Haval. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, available at selected restaurants. It has has been an eventful and often tense week across the football landscape from nightclub fights all the way through. So we're going to dissect all of that as we work our way through crunch time. Throughout the season, we'll be counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. In our broadcast last night, Jared Healy nominated the Zach Tui Torpedo as last night's unbelievable moment. And then he went so far as to say it was throwing shade on Malcolm Blight's Torpedo which is a controversial view to say the least, of which I can't wait to talk to Malcolm about on Thursday. Um, how far do you reckon it went, Lepper? Ooh, okay, 74.6. Dazing? 78. Rather disappointingly, it only went 66.5 wow. metres. Because um, he ran into the field of play and then got the well, great skip on after it landed. It would have been a great punt in the NFL because he got amazing yes. elevation. The hang time yes. was probably went about 60 metres high. It actually well. looked like it hit the roof when you look at some angles. On the TV. So Blighty lives. As oh, yeah. Fox ran it through hey. the lab at 66.5. It's sort of vaguely disappointing, I must admit. But with height, so distance travelled by the ball might have been right up there. Mm. 
<laughs> Not nice way of looking at it. Ref- furfy, refreshing ale, unbelievable. Stories of political intrigue. It was great to see Caro back in the paper today. She's written the Collingwood story on the back of the age. Mick Warner's been plotting this in the Herald Sun. So I'm deep into it, learning as we go. And then I hit this paragraph, Sam. Yes. The mood of the club is to extend Buckley, even if for one more season, while it seeks to lure a new senior assistant, Justin Lepich is in that frame, but wow. reflects the compromise. Hey, oh, stop. <laughs> Those words leapt off the page. We're talking oh, board geez. coups. We're talking presidents. We're talking Jeff Brown. And then the most in-demand assistant coach in the land jumps off the page, Lepper. Oh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know how this stuff starts, Jared. Seriously, but that's nice well, to be thought of. It's because we are getting the full view of your football knowledge. So when you're doing it internally, it happens away from us, and we all yeah. only get the exposure of when you do Spot an interview, on. and we admire the system. But when you've been able to share your football knowledge, is and every week we're learning more um, from Tuesdays to Saturdays, and through Tuesdays and Saturdays. And there will be people within footy who will be listening to you going, oh, yeah, we sort of knew about him, but hearing him, you know, right. So it's very much, um, I admire you enormously in the football intel that you've brought to us. I feel smarter every time we talk. That's (laughs) why it's happening. (laughs) So Jared wants to be your manager and he's kind of claiming some sort of role in all this, I reckon. This is the biggest pump-up I think I've ever received in my life. I'm a little bit shocked, a little bit shy. Could you be tempted back into the coaching ranks? You never say never in in anything. That's my philosophy of life, Um, you know, and, and... Look, I probably will have conversations over the course of the year as it unfolds with lots of things and, and different roles. I, I, I have no idea what it looks like yet. Um, the, the thought of going full ball into head in the computer assistant coaching is probably something I'm going to move away from and, and said that even eight months ago. It was just the, the cut and thrust of that that position and the draining nature of it. Um, and because I've done it, and you sort of, it's, it's sort of the sort of thing you tr- want to try and move on and do something else. But apart from that, you, you sort of never say never in, in these sorts of things. So, do you miss it? Uh, Some parts. Well, okay. If I could, if I could quantify, I'm enjoying what I'm doing this year uh, as much as I miss footy. I'm enjoying this year yep. first. It doesn't mean I'll never go back to it, but the break has been terrific because you do you, you get stuck in the weeds and you, you just. Coming out sometimes and having a look around and doing, and even learning more about the media and in different parts of the footy world and doing business, it's been a fantastic learning experience and what I really wanted to do. Um, because when you get stuck doing 28 years of the one thing, pretty much, um, yeah, you can get institutionalized. So I've enjoyed it for that. So, so no, I don't miss footy because it's, it's actually this is exactly what I wanted to do this year. If you did get another opportunity, are there things you've learned in the time you've had out that would make you different going back? Like the the little thoughts come in where you think, oh, I might do it this way next time if there was a next time. Uh, I think uh, the hardest thing to do. I mean, even coaching, I got an under sixteen girls team I coach. I got Peninsula Grammar I coach, and then in in the AFL, it's just, it's no different. Everyone's at a different level. So it's just, you know, with the under-16 girls, it's a bit, a, a bit of win the ball, explode out. You know, it's nothing to do with defensive systems and structures and, you know, you, you, their head would explode. And, in fact, they look at you like you're a complete nut of moron <laughs> half the time if you talk like that. And potentially a little bit step up again. You're trying to teach them some of the strategic stuff, but you've got to find that happy balance between them letting them just play and do their thing. So every level is a little different. And I want to say one thing definitely about strategy of the game, and I found this at Brisbane, I, I, I had – 
thoughts about oh, the one thing disappointing about Brisbane is I couldn't utilize that, that part of my brain. The players weren't ready. Probably, they, you know, you see a young player and you de- debut lots of them. They're just happy to get through the game. They've debuted. They're not thinking, "Geez, we've got to get this defensive system right, otherwise we won't make finals." They're not at that stage of their mentality. So you got to be careful when you layer this sort of stuff in. People have to be ready for strategy. You just can't go from an 18-year-old kid from the under-18s and just whip them straight into with no experience defensive strategy, offensive strategy. They got to they got to build that that up. So there's only certain teams that are ready for that that high-level type stuff. Yeah. So I am just curious, I don't want to push you too far, but could you be somebody else's right-hand man or would you prefer to do it under your own name if you were to come back to coaching? Uh, I haven't thought that far ahead of it. Um, Either's fine for me. Um, I I think I've been over the the course of my football career even as a a vice-captain for Vossi, a good right-hand man, and same with Dimmer. So... I think I've proven I can do that role pretty well as well. So, um, yeah, so I haven't answered your question, but, yeah, I haven't haven't thought deeply enough about it. Thanks, mate. You've kept the website afloat for the day. <laughs> nice. Magnificently done. The rest of that story is something that's going on with the presidency, <laughs> apparently. So uh, there is uh, the way Caro writes it, and it supports what Mick Warner's been writing. There is a, a sense of inevitability that Jeff Brown will be the next president of Collingwood. It, it just swings on how, which we spoke about last week, and when. This is like Agent Smith in the ears of Neo on The Matrix, uh, Jerry. Do you hear that, Mr. Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability. Now, will Mark Corder, who's been in the chair for all of five minutes, the question for mine, will he go peacefully? Will he put the gloves on and will we have a real messy one? And then the timing of it in relation to Nathan Buckley is the biggest one of all, given he's out of contract. So if Jeff Brown comes in, does he want to inherit a decision or does he want to make a decision? Now, everything you hear about Jeff Brown would lead you to believe he's more inclined to want to do the latter. He wants to make the decision. You have to own the decision on one of the biggest figures in the history of the football club, not inherited it two weeks after it happens. It's absolutely incumbent. If this is the direction they are going to take, it is actually Jeff's responsibility to make sure he's in control before that decision's made. So we're already at mid-May. Time is of the essence here in relation to that in particular. So everything points to this happening sooner rather than later. And the positioning, as you say, is going on. We're being conditioned, if you like. And the Jeff Brown backers are in full voice. So we wait and see what happens here with with some interest, I would have thought. If the Collingwood supporters, members, have shown that they can respond to a call to arms in the manner of hijacking the voting for the mark of the round, isn't this living proof that this is a constituency that is ready to vote on something that matters? The future of the football club and the people who should lead it. Is it not time that Collingwood trusted its people, having revved them up to already show? We are voters, yep. it turns out. Yep. Let them vote on something that matters. Indeed. Couldn't agree more. Are oh, you preaching to the converted, Jared? 100%. 100%. Let's go to the EGM. Let's let, let the members have their say. I, I don't know if it's going to be much of a contest, to be honest. I think it's all, all pointing towards Jeff Brown taking the, the presidency. And I don't think that would shock anyone at Collingwood. Does, the, does Hawthorne's announcement during the week... The formalising of rebuilds, Jeff Kennett's timeline is um, is wonky to say the least, but let's say it's longer than 2023. Let's say it is three to five years and it might even be five to seven years. Does that have an impact on, on Alistair Clarkson's um, next move with the Hawks beyond his current contract? Yeah, I'd be surprised they don't aren't united in that decision as far as that time frame. Um, one thing about list management and of 
done it before in my time. Even the time at Brisbane, I knew that Brisbane's time was coming in 2019 to 25 was its window uh, that we planned. And it was hard at 2.16 that you can't walk into a board meeting and say, well, yeah, no, no, we'll play finals next year. It's just there's not enough. Um, the numbers will tell you you need a certain amount of games to a certain amount of quality players too, Jerry. You could debut a player that may not work as well if you don't recruit them properly. So there is no perfect science. There is a, a bit of a science in re, uh, recruiting and building, but if you get some of the recruiting wrong or the trading wrong, you, you could actually bobble and wobble like Melbourne have done. And what have they done? Two or three cracks at it. Now they've finally got it right. So you, you can you can sort of have a crack at it, but get it wrong too. That, that, I just think the timeline's really interesting for them. So they're citing history and ignoring a few realities in their history of what they had and what they are able to gain and what they haven't done so far at the draft. The idea that, um, what is it, 6 and 14 and one more year at the draft and that'll be it, like that that's not the nucleus of... I notice people are saying Clarkson rebuilt the Hawthorne twice. I don't recall that. I, I recall the building of the nucleus and then the really clever adding of players from other clubs as sort of one continuous build to the glory of four flags in total. Yeah, well, you think it's only one build that Clarko's done. It's probably that good year they had. Um, was it 208, wasn't it? Um, they look, I remember being at Brisbane. We played prelim final in 1996, you know, before it all happened. And we were only really one kick away from getting to a grand final. And I think if we had won the last game of the year, we'd have finished on top of the ladder. So, you know, that's the sort of, that's the early stint they had. We'll come back through this. Justin Lepich, Daisy Pierce on crunch time for Western Werribee Auto Group. The round nine edition of Crunch Time after the Geelong has beaten St Kilda by 21 points. First to go today, Sydney and Collingwood, followed by Hawthorne and North Melbourne. The afternoon fixtures, the Q clash in the twilight, and then a double header competing with each other. Richmond and the Giants, Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs makes for a busy night of flicking back and forth with two matches of huge consequence to come. Crunch Time is for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Make the smart move at Werribee Haval by test driving the new H6. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Lepich and Daisy Pierce with you. Shortly to Tassie Benamafio, the Chief Executive of North Melbourne. Winless discussions around priority picks, the tensions in Tasmania with the co-tenants that are down there at the moment. Uh, well, that's all on the table with Ben. The One of the most interesting topics of the week has been the, the soft cap and... So the provisions around football departments, the 30% reduction, the realities which are starting to be brought forth and then the future direction of it. Justin, you're really strong on this on Tuesday. It's got great traction. John Longmire's a union man. He's at the forefront of it. Chris Scott, Damien Hardwick have been forthright in their thoughts. The president of the Players Association has come in behind the Coaches Association, I think in the hope that they become more than just a, an organising committee and, and maybe a, a lobby group and a union in their own right. You've thought a little deeper through this to, to share some of the public information around what's happening, being pretty tied in and tapped into this behind the scenes. Yeah, and look, I've, I've spoken to her. I mean, there's there's a two parts to this. There's the actual physical money, monetary side of this, and there's also the emotional toll and physical workload that it's taking on coaches now. And I know some are really bat battling with those two things at the moment. Is is the money side, as we all do in life, with the emotional side of what I'm missing out and the hours I'm working, is that adding up? And I know a lot of starting to think that that is a tipping point for them. So that is a real concern. Um, and it would be, it should be a concern from the, for the AFL. And we've seen countless examples of coaches leaving the game and mental issues in the game and, and, and so on and so forth. But just for the physical part, the soft cap part of it, people out there probably think that 
that's coaches' wages, a soft cap. Well, no, it's not. In, in fact, coaches are only 20 to 25% of that total number. Okay, somewhere between two, two and a half million. So if we use the $10 million of what it was last year, forgetting the, the redu- reduction, so about 25% of it, let's say, is the coaches. Another 25 is the off-field medical staff and all the things the players need. You know, they need to be conditioned. You know, they need someone there checking the GPS units and all those sorts of things to make sure they're in peak condition, they're not overworked, and we don't break down, which we're seeing a little bit of injury at the moment now. With that being reduced, is that a part of the reason? You know, the, the, the cuts of, of even the, the physical uh, department. I know some clubs have got doctors that were full-time. Now they're only part-time and so on and so it, forth. Is and it, it then? Down. What's your gut feel? Is it then? Because they've been linked. Yeah, it's a combination of all of it, um, really, I think. Because also, too, is that um, if you've got uh, coaches that are very thinly spread as well, Players may be getting less time. They may be getting less workouts, less conditioned. It's a combination of all that. But the other big part for me is the remainder, which um, 30% of the cap, is for things that are totally unrelated, like GPS units, um, players' food, their jumpers, all those sorts of things that they just need. It's like you need it to survive. It's, it's like walking in the studio and saying, we're putting your microphones equivalent to your wage. It just doesn't make sense. It's just something you need to survive in the game. So I don't see how somebody's income can be put in the same category of things that don't go down 30%. Because it's not like um, the GPS unit guy sitting go, yeah, I'll, I'll take 33% less to buy some more GPS units off you. Or um, Sharon aren't going to go, yeah, we'll take 33% off buying the footballs because mm. everyone else has gone down. It's, it doesn't work that way. So there's a lot of those hard costs that have stayed but the wages obviously have, have come down quite significantly. You speak to the you speak to your your old colleagues, if you like, collectively in the in the industry. So how dire is the situation in terms of these people sticking it out or, or facing decisions about what they want to do with life? Well, the word dire is, is probably not the word that these men use because that's what they are. They they they're givers to the game. Um, they don't. One thing coaches don't like doing is doing probably what I'm doing now, standing up on their high horse saying. Um, you know, and, and I probably have the opportunity now to be their voice a little bit, being out of it and having recently lived it, that there is a lot of hours given, there's a lot of time and that balance between work, life, income, all that thing that we all take, it's starting to bend, shift the other way. So it's not like they're standing up beating their chest and saying, we're leaving the game, but they're all just having a quiet think to themselves with their wives and partners and going, is this is this all worth it at the end? So to there are, there are people who I think see coaches broadly and, and you have to remove the senior coach from the, the worker bees I think to a degree in this debate is as been um, uh, very well paid but you made the point that and this goes to anyone in, in your life you're getting offered your wage from 12 years ago that that was how you mm. quantified it yeah and 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 some of the and look where they've made the cuts as well Jared is is teams will always look to support their senior 22 or 24. So when they reduce a one off the list, if it's a coaching perspective, or wages gets re- reduced, guess who it hits the hardest? The guys at the bottom level, they're still going to the, you know, the VFL coach might be still going to the AFL game, and then he works Tuesday, Thursday nights with his VFL guys that are, you know, because most of those guys are part-time, so they have to train after hours. So they've got the daytime routine, then the nighttime routine, and then they've got the VFL game and they've got the AFL game. And guess what? They're the ones generally on the least amount. So they're pretty much on teachers' wages. So it's like that's where those balances come in. So you can understand why those thought processes come in. But look, most of those guys are making their way in their game and they're willing to make all those sacrifices. But it's just, again, it's just a certain point because I think the other thing too, don't you want it to be a industry 
um, and a profession that we all aspire to be. You, you don't want it to have stink around it. I just think it's something that the AFL should use it as a bit, something to be proud of, that our coaches are well looked after. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great pathway for a career. Yeah, it's hard work. But, um, you know, there's a fair degree of hazard pay in there in case things go wrong because it is a hazardous job in a lot of ways. So you got me thinking is, would I think it would be helpful to remove the senior coach's wage from mm. the soft cap. Oh, that would, that, that would obviously be a different start because it, it, I'm talking about the bottom end. What about poor old Clarko? So they, they might have to make a decision that we might move on Clarko because he's, because of his experience and what he deserves in the game is in a cap. So... We might as well go a younger coach for a couple of years because it'll help our soft cap. Now, that's unfair to Clarko. You know, he's built up all this reputation and what he is. And and it's, it's because, oh, no, sorry, it's, it's something that's just we've just made up and you've just got to, you know, stick with it. Um, so, yeah, that's disappointing at all ends. It's unfair to Clarko, but it also has the potential to diminish the game if p- people right. like him are leaving because of financial issues. Well, yeah, and that is, and my, I guess if I'm looking long term now, two, three, four years down the track, and if you're sitting there with your own kids right now, and you you want to be an AFL star, you don't want to. Whilst I want to say this the right way, you don't want your football club to be surrounded by only good intentioned people without the skill set, that all the years of experience, um, because you'll always still get good intentioned people that want to be a part of the AFL. So you'll always get that, but you just worry is that they haven't got the the years um, and the understanding of the game. So. That's, that, that could be a watch as well. So does the Coaches Association need the status of the Players Association to be able to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement, given yes. that now we are they are essentially like for like? Has to. Yeah, Has to. I, I've waffled on for 10 minutes, but basically if you take anything out of it, there needs to be a CBA. And it's not just for the pay, it's also for the hours. I'll give you some crazy examples of... Um, yeah, the Coaches will come in, they get their four weeks break when the players get eight, or close enough to... So they're forced to come into work with no one to work on, nothing to do. So they put their computers down and sit there and go around chat all day and then go home. So, so why why are they there for those times? You know, why don't they have a six week holiday break as coaches as opposed to a four? So there's lots of things in a CBA that can be negotiated, not just pay. It can be terms, it can be something else. But you need that starting point of a CBA to at least actually have the discussion. Otherwise, who you're negotiating with? It's just Gil negotiating with himself in in a lot of ways. Lepa, I don't know it as intricately as you do, and, and you, you've lived it. But the reasons we're in this position, I mean, part of it forced by COVID, but there's also, I feel, this sense that there was an overspend happening in football departments and that part of it is the AFL trying to force clubs to make change. Is that the case from your experience? Like, if you if you did find yourself in this scenario, where were the opportunities to, to make cuts? Uh, well, it's a, it's a good question because is it is it a – we spoke about this on Tuesday, was the soft cap brought in to make football departments even or was it just a money-saving exercise? Because if it's a money-saving exercise, well, let's just go through the whole competition and, and cap everything in what, what we do. Um, everyone's wages from CEOs through to corporate through to marketing through to – because that part of the building doesn't – it's not about a cost-cutting. They can sort of do what they want. I'm, I'm sure they'll keep it within reason, but there's no cap determining what they do. So, um, yeah, so it's – Again, it's an important one, but it's, um, I think it's, a, it's an important one for the AFL too because it's an important business decision for them because if they do lose people, that's a bad business decision, isn't it? So they've got to find the balance, even irrelevant of what I'm saying. It's their business. They've got to run it properly and they've got to make good choices, but they've got to decide, is, is, is what I'm saying true? Are we really going to lose players or is that just a little furphy and we'll get through it and we'll be fine? But it's a really important time for them. Are we on alert for the injury, right? 
so that most easily quoted number of the weekend, and I've heard four people within footy by the end of Friday night quote 177 players yeah. on the list. So this is this is in the psyche. This is in everybody's thinking. The number of long-termers there feels intuitively like more than we're used to, even if the raw numbers aren't necessarily. So it's about 10 per club. And you're right, Jared. going back uh, a couple of weeks, it was on par with what we've seen from yesteryear. So there is an element of this is the same debate every year, if you like, but it keeps getting worse. We keep getting high-profile injuries and serious injuries as a result. The AFL are definitely monitoring it. They have to be because we're coming off a condensed preseason, a shorter preparation time. We're going back to 20-minute quarters. So there's a number of critical factors that may be seen to be contributing to the injury toll. So whether they ride out the storm this year and think, right, everything levels out again next year, rotations down to 70 as well. That's another key part of it also. But they're not just soft tissue injuries, are they, Lev? But there's been some big collision injuries, some broken bones and like some freakish injuries as well. But it's definitely on the watch list for the AFL at the moment. What the answer is, I've got no idea, Dave. Yeah, well, the tricky thing about finding the answer is there has been so much change all at once. So it's Mm. almost an impossible exercise to identify exactly which one of soft cap reductions, less uh, medical personnel, strength and conditioning personnel, the October finish into a normal... March starting season, the interchange cap, the speed of the game with the the rule changes and the length of the game going back. I mean, it's a quagmire of which one is causing it. We're about to speak. It reminds to... me of when you've got young children and yeah. you go to the chemist and you buy every product <laughs> and then things work, but you don't know which one it was and you're back to square one. Yeah, we're about to speak to Better Mafia down in Tasmania. They've got 27 fit players available. I mean, their VFL team finished with 17 on the field at the weekend and another 107-point loss. So... They have just been absolutely poleaxed by injury, Jared. The, the side that can least afford to, they can barely field a team at the moment. David Noble. Yeah, so th- there has to be a lot of thought put into this over the back part of the season, I think, and not just the annual injury report and when it gets tabled sort of too far down the track to do anything about it. Uh, there, there needs to be the search for the meaning in it. And it's it's for those who are at the coalface and the decision-making to actually search for that and then to disseminated to us. Part of it determining, is it unique to the the unique circumstances we've just endured? Is it a one-off because of where we're at or is Mm. it going to be a trend? We're gearing up for a big day of footy for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Part of that is North Melbourne and Hawthorne down in Launceston. That's where we find the Kangaroos Chief Executive, Ben Amafio. Ben, welcome to Crunch Time. Hi, Jared. Hi, guys. Are you feeling a, a bit of urgency about getting a win? (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, we've been waiting eight weeks now, so we're going to our ninth week, so hopefully it's today. It's the, it's the coach's birthday today, so <laughs> hopefully that's a good omen. So I guess the question is, and we've just been talking about injury tolls and how it relates to North Melbourne, D- did you forecast that it would be this tough at the start of this season? No. I mean, no, you, you always plan for it. I mean, it's, it's that's part and parcel of, uh, of sport. So you always know you're going to get them. Um, but to have, I think we've got 15 at the moment, so 35% of our list is, is out injured. I think the the average for the comp is around 23. So we're, we're certainly over-indexed in that respect. Yeah. So, yeah. How tough Sorry, does that on. make it to, to compete to win games? Yeah, of course it does, particularly when it's some of your best players. Um, you know, we've got our best and fairest, Luke McDonald's out, Aiden Claws out. Robbie Terrence out, Jed Anderson. So when when it's your best players, it really does hit home. 
and and your list demographic would have had you just about the least equipped to absorb those injuries. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think that's being too too unkind to say that about us. Our, our list, given the situation that we're in, um, our list probably that doesn't run as deep as other lists uh, at the moment. We, we'll hopefully uh, we're on the way to eradicating that or ameliorating that. Um, but uh, yeah, we can at least afford to do with deal with 15 injuries at the moment. Um, but having said that, the positive is that it gives a lot of our young players an opportunity to play. So we're getting games into our very young, talented players, and that's a great thing. And how would you say a, a new coach, not a not a not an experienced fellow within football? He's lived a lot, David Noble, but he's the senior mm. coach, and and he's gone through the first two months without a win. How would you say he's absorbing that? He's holding up really well, and and that's part of the part of the appeal and, and the reason why we selected him as a coach because he's very resilient, um, he's very wise and considered. He's had a lot of experience. Um, he's he's unflappable. <laughs> the pressure doesn't get to him. He's pretty much he's been around the block for about twenty seven years, so he's seen seen most things. So we were always confident that he was he was going to be a person who could deal with a lot of adversity and change and dynamism. So, no, he's coping just fine. Ben, Daisy Pearce here. How, how do Hi, you Dave. go about managing the messaging getting through to your players, given that you have to deal with the reality of you've got a long injury list and that come season's end, if there's a, a priority pick, you'll be you'll be getting in line to take it if, if that's what, what you think is right. But... How do you manage that message getting through to your players and, and not almost um, send a defeatist kind of mentality? Yeah, no, it's, it's a key point, Dave. And I think what the coaches concentrate on, and, and this is something that, that actually David spoke about this even before he joined us when he was going through the process, is that we were particularly interested in this point was how do you keep morale up? How do you keep the positivity up? What do you look for when, when the winds aren't there? And... and and, and what we're doing and, and what David's done in the past is looking at making sure we get the process right. I know he's been he's on the record of talking about process, but it's about all the things that lead up to not just a win, but all the things that set the foundation for a win. So it's, you know, are, are the players improving and growing? Are we developing our young players? Are they understanding the game plan? Are we winning quarters? Are we winning contested ball? Are we winning any of the KPIs that we're trying to win on a weekly basis? So... There are, and as you would know from your own example, uh, there are many, there are dozens of other things that you can look at. You go, okay, these are all great indicators of growth and development, and these are successes as well. And so the coach has spent a lot of time talking about all of those wins as well. It's not just the four points. Ben, Justin Levich here. Good luck today. Um, you know, it's it's great insight into what, you know, when I've been in that situation where you're in a team that's losing consistently and trying to get those little wins. So it's it's terrific for the people in the North supporters to hear that, um, you know, what's going on in the background there. We, we're having a quick chat about the uh, the soft cap just earlier. Have you got any word from the AFL what potentially might happen at season's end? Um, Lepper, I think um, that the AFL will take a very considered view on this because... I think the facts are that, look, while we all think that we're out of the out of the depths of last year, we're still we're still having fully recovered. You know, we're still not out of the woods yet. Um, I think I saw a, a stat this week, or not a stat, but some numbers this week that showed that across the industry, we're still going to be three hundred million dollars short on revenue this year. So 
um, there's still a big hole that we need to fill before we get get back to where we once were. So we've got to be really careful and very managed in the way that we get back to whether whether we ever get back to 9.7 or whatever it is. Um, but um, look, I think you know if there's areas, and clearly the coaches the coaches have been very vocal, even the players' association has been vocal this week about particular areas that deal with mental health and well-being. And we'll take a common sense approach to that as an industry. And if, if that's an issue, issue and we're not getting enough touch points in those areas, then we'll, we'll make sure that we increase funds in those specific targeted areas. Um, clubs aren't going to have carte blanche to just be giving um, bunches of money to be able to just dump into the soft cap to, sp- to spend at will. It'll be, I imagine, very targeted and it won't be probably anywhere near as much as what many clubs want. Is the North Melbourne view, Ben, that, that it doesn't need to move at all from the current level? Uh, Jared, look, we're, we're coping, um, we think, in terms of uh, from a financial perspective and from running the business. And, you know, we're not having people falling over um, through exhaustion or anything like that. And I think our players are feeling that they're getting enough uh, attention and love. And so I think we're coping okay. Um you know, could we do with a bit more money in the soft cap? Of course, of course, you'd love to. But we're, we're pragmatists as well, and we want to be realistic about, you know, what, what we can afford and what the industry can afford. So if the soft cap goes up half a million or less than half a million or whatever the number is, then, you know, that's fine, and, and hopefully that's affordable for everyone. Do you think it's fair, Ben, that only the coaches, the recruiters and the wages within the football department are capped, given now it's a, gone from what used to be and the course for, for clubs to remain even and equitable in what they spend on football departments to now a cost-saving exercise? Mm. Well, I guess the, the reason, if you think back to the reason why, why there was a cap for the football departments was because that, that's the area of the business where there was clearly, there seemed to be a, a correlation between spend and winning and spend and success and, and also um, clubs were getting an advantage um, in the football area. So hence, that's why the cap was concentrated on the, on the football department in the first place. Now, could, could we have ever predicted that there was going to be a, a worldwide pandemic and that now the football departments are probably uh, feeling more pain than the rest of the department, the rest of the organisation? No. Um, but, you know, I think the, I think the clubs would, uh, the clubs might um, have a very definite view about, about how much say they can have or, um, latitude they can have in terms of spending outside the football department. Yeah, but do you think it's fair that it's just the coaches and recruiters that fall under this new capped saving system? Should the rest of football departments or, or media, uh, marketing, CEOs, your position, everyone through the AFL, should everyone fall under this and, and, and cop a consistent cap as well? Or do you think it should be just the, the people in the football department? What's your thoughts on that? Well, that, that was what I was just talking about just then. Um, I, I think clubs have got to be given some latitude to be able to spend how they, how they wish to spend uh, across the rest of it. I mean, there's, we've already got a salary cap for players, so we've got a, we've got a cap for the football department. Uh, I think if there's a cap for the rest of the business as well, then, then some clubs might really arc up about the lack of flexibility to do, to do what they have to do. Um, and I don't think that's unfair. I think at the end of the day, we're all accountable to our members and to our board of, of running prudent businesses. So you're forced... Through, through having to deliver surpluses or at least trying to deliver surpluses and not getting too much debt, 
um, by getting too by getting too cute in spending outside of the football department. Ben, Sam Edmund here. Great to have you on this afternoon. Uh, how strong is the consideration of asking for a priority pick? Well, I think we're only eight games in, Sam, so, you know, uh, we've got another 14 games to go before we, we need to worry about that, I think. If you, if you look at um, the record over the past few years, um, it, it seems as though clubs have, have won, I don't know, call it four games or less over a, at least a two-year period. Uh, before they've been considered, and so we're we're one season and eight games in. So I think it's it's a bit premature. Um, if we win less than four games in our next fourteen, then of course it, it comes into play. So you haven't started working on a submission yet of any sort. No, we're not looking at it just yet. We may have to <laughs> after the buy, or you know, as I said, um, as we get deeper into the season, um, if uh, if we have less than the four wins. Um, but um, as is the case at the moment, we're concentrating on uh, our fundamentals. We're concentrating on growing and developing our, our young list and getting all those small, small wins that I, was, that I mentioned a little before. Um, that's where we're focused. Apologies. It looks a beautiful day down in Launceston. What's the latest with Tasmania and, and what would obviously be a new contract to play down there beyond this year, with obviously Colin Carter reviewing the state's case on behalf of the AFL, where do you sit in terms of whether you're able to play there contractually next year? Yeah, so we, uh, we're, um, we're having discussions at the moment with Spirit of Tasmania. I, I can't speak for Hawthorne and, and what their situation is with the Tassie government. Um, Tassie government has been fantastic. Uh, just thinking of our own experience, we had a game against Melbourne a couple of weeks ago and um, the Premier's office, uh, his own chief of staff, the, the uh, uh, chief commissioner of police, uh, the medical people in the, in the Tassie government system could not have done more and could not have been more helpful in making sure we got that game up. So we were thrilled about that. And so there's a great level of cooperation and good spirit between, between us and the Tassie government. Um, we'll see where it lands. As I said, we're talking to Spirit Tasmania. We, we, we like the current arrangement. We think it works with Hawthorne in the north and us in the south. We love engaging with the community and uh, investing in the community, whether that be through schools or through uh, pathways or, or community services, plus entertaining our 6,000, nearly 6,000 fans or supporters down here. Um, so that's that's where it sits. Uh, who knows? Colin Carter's putting his paper in. That'll be done by the 30th of July. The commission will deliberate on that before the end of the year, I imagine, and we'll see where we go from there. Ben, great to have you on Crunch Time, and good luck for the afternoon. Looking for that first win. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, guys. Ben Amafio, the Chief Executive at North Melbourne. That was for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small, mobile living made easy Dometic. So uh, we'll work our way through the issues out of that and those that surround the clubs that are playing today. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Werribee Haval stocks the all-new H6 and Jolion for your convenience. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's Call. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Daisy Pearce and Justin Lepage with you. The crunch, the key issues for Bet with Joel, Australia's number one tipping service. Gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Let's shuttle a few of these around. Has North Melbourne Day's got an air of self-defeatism around them at the moment? 
Oh, I think you walk a fine line when in round eight you start talking priority picks. I mean, I acknowledge that that may be where they're at, but you got to be careful with what gets through to your players, I think, particularly the week before um, David Noble spoke about winning isn't everything. The injury list is very long. They're the realities and the facts of where North Melbourne are at. But I think you, you also have to make sure you're, you're building a winning culture where players have the resilience to acknowledge all those things and still go out there to, to compete and win above all else. Um, but you can't hedge everything on that. There's yeah. a balance. It's a difficult position. I mean, I've been in a similar situation with teams that with a team that hasn't been very competitive. So, um, But one thing you do need to run a game plan is effort. It's quite funny. You can put in a defensive system, system but if no one's actually running up the field or down the field or, or putting effort to do it, well... You know, the, the plan itself doesn't work. So if you say we just want to see a few things, well, you need the energy to see those few things. So if you are taking the energy out of them by saying, we're in, in essence, we're a, a bottom team, we're, we want new players, you, you guys aren't quite good enough, we, we want extra priority picks, that, that can ruin the emotion, which can ruin the energy. And then what you're looking for doesn't even um, you see on the screen anyway when you, when you code your game. Do you believe in priority picks? Uh, not after I didn't get one at Brisbane. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> no answer. One have one. <laughs> we asked for one um, for my first year because I could see where it was heading, and they were sitting there no, making of your own doing. I think it was Gill's words after you know Yo left and Doherty left and all those players, which were before my time. But either way, he felt that it was the club itself that had to improve, and he was right. And very short later, four or five years later, recruiting Charlie Cameron and Lockie Neal and became an attractive club to go to. So um, so you can turn it around without the priority pick. So how did you manage that then, knowing behind the scenes you, you needed one and you were going to put your hand up for one, but managing the messaging so it didn't, yeah, I didn't talk infiltrate about it. the playing group? From memory, I didn't talk about it. It was something that was done through Greg Swan through to through to Gilson. No, nothing really that of my... What I don't get is that the, the argument that it's their own doing. It's every club's own doing. Every yeah. club that gets them into a mess has made a series of decisions over time to get themselves into that position. That happens each and every time. So when people say, oh, North got themselves into that mess, well, yeah, they did. But so was every other club. And they're one of only Except half a dozen clubs that haven't got a priority. teams pick. that circumstance yeah. might. So, so the, the priority, stand alone then, the priority pick system was wretchedly flawed which Correct. is why it was largely shelved. Yep. The Suns owes to geography and, in, and investment rather than anything else. Is It's that, and we've seen this week that Peter Volandis has acknowledged that the AFL's invaded Queensland. So that's, that. I think, rather than a precedent, they're the exception as the last team who got it. As you say about North Melbourne, North Melbourne specifically set up this season's failure with the decisions that they made at the end of last year around their list. But they had this to. This couldn't have ended any other way in 2021. But they had to. And, the, and those decisions have been franked by the fact that only two players are actually regulars in their new teams. They're, what, are they supposed to keep a, a list cloggers on their list for another year just because... And the Suns, it must be said. Yes, you have to keep a critical mass of players until you can progressively replace them. So they, they opened themselves up to a season of one or two wins. As, and they had to know that that's what was going to happen as a result of the decisions they made. Why should they be compensated for it? And that, the, that was either It was either hopeless mismanagement or a really calculated decision knowing this year was going to be a disaster. And the Suns, for much as they may face challenges geographically, that's still problems of their own doing as well because they were given all the concessions at the start and they have been proven to have made mistakes with the, with their initial list 100%, build. 100%, but their, as opposed their to priority picks are the exception, not the new rule. 
that the, what they did is not the example of every struggling club to follow the priority picks are back. Is priority picks have been totally made redundant, yeah. I think. And and well, they should be. I think it's a wretched system. Well, Suns weren't a priority pick. They've been given draft concessions for, for, for last yeah. year, for this year, for next year. So with the asterisks now that obviously you would think they're coming good and they don't have to be tied to a first round pick. They can, they're totally discretionary now yeah. around the AFL commission's mahogany table. So we're not saying North Melbourne deserve a pick after their first pick, which is going to be obviously pick one this year. We're not saying they need pick two, but every club gets themselves into these positions from time to time. And I'm a believer that they had to make the decisions with the list. Yes, they were aggressive, but I think they were the right decisions to make. And yeah, now they've been hit it, with it. Does it make them, they get the pity pick because of it? No, is this was this is long term mismanagement with which dates to we didn't recognise when we needed to rebuild. We forged on and then we went right over the cliff. We gutted it in one go rather than progressively, and so they they are the architects of exactly where they are. They are. It hasn't. It's not the. It's not misfortune or. So they had to calculate this decision in the decisions that they made last year, didn't they? But they wouldn't be able to forecast that they've got 15 on the injury list either. Mm. That's but that's that doesn't get you a priority Completely pick. unpredictable. So those players will all come back from injury. So if they won three games this year, let's say it's hard to see them getting it. Let's say they win one game this year, two games this year. So that's four or five over a two-year period with a young list and a new coach. We just say, how about it? Yeah, yeah. Get on with the job that you are doing behind the scenes. And talk to us again in two years' time if you're the victims of wretched misfortune along the way. But you, this is your this is your plan. I Go and live put your plan. Ben Brown in list clogger category. No, I'm not. No, no, that's what I'm saying. They're, 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 he and Sean Higgins, the only two players that are actually playing, to the best of my knowledge, that are regular walk-up starters for their new club. So they're the right decisions to cut as hard as they did. I would. But they are elsewhere, but they're not for North Melbourne. They're not from, they, they have left their list wretchedly exposed by cutting too deep in one go where they could have progressively done it over two years and softened the way it was going to land this year. Um, AFLW, did, did they get the right decision starting your season in December and coming to a climax the weekend before the men's start? Yeah, I think so. Moving forward, I think to have separation from the, the men's AFL competition will be a positive. Um, you're never going to get clean air. We keep using the term clean air. There is no clean air in the 12-month calendar when you consider all the other sports now that we consume and that we have access to. But I think you're better off going up against the Oz Open and, and cricket, big bash cricket, than you are AFL football. You're more likely to engage football fans than you are to get a big engagement from tennis goers, I think. Mm. Um, so I think it's a it's a wise decision, and I I also like the idea of point of difference that there's there's something different about the women's competition, rather than competing to be the exactly the same and offering something different to the football fan. I think the game will get a great run in the media in December. Yep. Absolutely, I do feel though we're coming back to the soft cap again. Though I, I suppose this means that people that staff that will now be having the challenge. holidays in December will now be required to knuckle down hardcore for AFLW. Well, so that, mm. that that's an issue for clubs. That's on the clubs, I think, though to to manage the the twelve month calendar now. That mm. you can't expect your staff, be it coaches, medical performance personnel, whoever it is, it's not. Oh, it's now a twelve month season. It it has to be that you get little scheduled breaks at different stages throughout throughout the year and and that may come in in the AFL season as well. Might have to do your pre-season in a sauna to get ready for some of these games. <laughs> well, we already, we already do the I summer don't. thing we've we've done. I mean, and, and there's already things in place to 
buffer that longer breaks on when it's hot or humid and, and that kind of thing. So we've dealt with that. It will be challenging this year as it rolls into that, that pattern. I mean, to back up again with a, what is likely to be a September start will be tricky, both on club staff and coaches for the reasons we've pointed out, but also players. I mean, a lot of players will have exhausted every little scrap of annual leave that they have in their other professions and have called on every favour, whether it's at their, their workplace or at home, as in my case, <laughs> with your family supports and, and just what it takes to get out there when it is in this part-time nature. And now we've got to do it all again come September. And I mean, there'd be many examples of this, but I, I sort of had September mapped out and it's pretty full of work. I hadn't really planned for a football season, but I think that that challenge will be unique to, to just this year as we then roll into um, the years that flow on. There there are some good things within it as well. Um, I like, you know, that the, the school holiday period over that summer period really will enable hopefully more families to, to come along to the footy and for those that do study or or are teachers and do jobs that you get time off during that period, well, there is a bit of a, an opportunity to focus in on your footy. And the expansion being pushed, so two more seasons of 14 teams before the, the potential for 18, is that a fair timeline, do you think? Yeah, I really look forward to the day that every club has a, a women's team, but I think we, we do have to do it incrementally, and I don't think it's a, a bad thing to do it to, to wait a bit, wait for a bit more talent to come into the competition and and also get get the environment right before we invite more girls in. I, I think we're at a bit of a tipping point where the, the standard has gotten to a point that there's a, a new level of expectation of what AFLW looks like and as a player it requires a certain level of commitment to, to meet that expectation. It's still presented as the elite women's competition but it's not professional yet. So it, it it is at a tipping point where it's taking a lot more time and it is harder than ever to juggle alongside your, your other careers. So I, I think we need to really look at how do we make this more sustainable for players before we invite in another 120 and stretch the resources even further. Sam, you got the Kennett reaction pretty soon after the announcement. Discrimination, Jared. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, you might have heard Craig Stasevich's comments towards yeah. that view, and I, I tend to agree that where were you when the the, well, the, the license applic- application? Well, you didn't want a team. For, yeah. Well, he responded so, to that by saying he wasn't on the board. Yeah, but... So. I mean, he, he, he represents wrote the piece the club. in the Herald Sun, and he came yep. on my program and yep. essentially said he was glad Hawthorne didn't have a yeah. team. He went from "we don't want one" to "we're not ready." I think so. He had a couple of opportunities there, but he was really strong. And I would have loved to have asked him if we'd had time with him to say, "Well, should Tasmania, we're looking at the screen here, should they feel discriminated against because they're not getting their own team and you're going down there to play?" But ran out of time, Jared. Unfortunately, he might have got hung up on <laughs> <Yeah>. it. Banned. <laughs> might have been banned. But no, to wait till. Yeah, when it, when there was unknown about what the competition was going to look like, there was no application, and now where you see the success and that it's important to the fabric of your club to yeah. to feel like and you it, want in, I don't mind to have to see them wait. It'll be a nice <laughs> moment of unison when we get all eighteen yeah. clubs with, oh, with yeah. their with their female clubs. That's no the other thing that. I like about the separation between. I would love to get to the point where if you're a club fan, you're not considered a real fan unless you go and support both. It's not opt-in to your women's team. It's it's get behind both. This is our club. It, it includes a men's AFL team and a women's AFLW team. And to be a rusted-on fan of your team, you get behind both. And this enables you to do that.
I think yeah. that will be great for the course of football fandom because you'll run through the men's season, through the trade period, straight to the women's season, which yep. will take you back to the men's season. And maybe membership packages are tailored, tailored as such. They're 12-month membership packages. You go to your women's game and you go to your men's game. This is the crunch for Bet with Joel. Transparent results, driven sports tips. Gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Who needs a rever? For Harley Heaven, the Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. I feel like we should spend our rev up on Carlton and the Paddy Cripps scenario, which Sam, you started reporting on. I reckon it was round two. Um, it came to sharp focus on Thursday when Mick Gleeson wrote the piece about back fractures, which was immediately followed. They're perfect when the yarn is published and then the press conferences happen. So for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, how on the outside are we to interpret the scenario around Paddy Cripps? That's such a difficult question to answer because we got such a bizarre press conference, Jared, from the coach. So there's either uh, two things. Extraordinarily, the coach isn't aware of uh, what players are getting what injections, which is all mightily frightening, or he was telling mistruths, small lies, if you like. You're intended, intending to believe it's have to be the latter. The coach has to be across everything that's happening with his players, especially his captain. So there were so many different ways for him to go about it. He could have answered truthfully, or he could have just simply said, I'm not going to speak about the medical concerns of my players. Patrick Cripps is 100% fit to go now. You put your hand up when you cross the line and you play. His issues are behind him, but I'm not talking about how we dealt with it. They're personal to him and us and how we manage our players. But instead... We got a no, not that I'm aware of, some vague responses that just left everyone uh, a little bit bemused, I would have thought. I just think sometimes clubs miss the chance to protect their assets. We can all see Paddy Cripps has been playing under duress all year. You could almost spin that and paint it heroically with making it really clear to everyone, by the way, you well know that he's injured. Yeah, and I think the point when I look through David Teague and what he said is that he has been training the last couple of weeks. That was the definitive he's saying. So he's coming out of whatever it is. That's the interpretation I took out of it. So it was almost like we don't blame him for his performances because he actually has been on the track a couple of weeks. I know in the NFL, one thing they do really well is that every training session is documented. So you get sent out afterwards. You either did a modified session, a full session, or you didn't compete at training. So We'd know that, Jerry. We wouldn't have to guess, oh, look, Paddy Cripps hasn't trained now for three weeks in a row. This is interesting, but he's playing games. So that is something that's given openly to the public. It, it may be something that we could do to stop some of this and maybe stop coaches having to have yeah. thinly veiled <laughs> lying in a lot of ways to protect players and protect situations because um, there is no there is no benefit really in the long run to, to hiding injuries um, uh, from the public. That story dropped that morning, didn't it? So it was almost like he wasn't prepared for the questions. I mean, you assume he was brief that the questions would have been coming because, as you say, we reported it here six, seven weeks prior, if you like. So... It almost looked like he was blindsided by the questions. But when you only get a half-truth or not full clarity on something, Jared, that's what leads to – we see the Doc Peter Larkins of the world and other people questioning, you know, how uh, Patrick Cripps is handled. Is it a future lawsuit? You see ridiculous headlines. You know, the mismanagement of a player, his welfare. So we're, the outside looking in and we're assuming when we don't get the full clarity of a situation. I wonder if they all had their time again days whether he would have started the season or whether they would have taken a breath. There was so much at stake, and he's the captain of the club. So it's it's twenty hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, but it it hasn't served him at all well and his status within the game. And Carlton didn't get much out of it. Yeah, well, you'd have to know the the nature of the injury exactly, and that's just detail that we don't have. Yep. Um, 
but it, it can be tricky because there's there's some injuries that you might need six months to get right. There's others that a two week break might help, but this might be one that four to six it weeks was, it was supposedly. If yeah. it happened in December, he would have been sat out for a month. Yeah, well, hindsight says that you do, but keeping in mind you've got a very competitive player, a combative warrior type player who's probably advocating to get in and and feeling like he can strike a balance between a modified training load and being able to improve on the run. Has it panned out that way? It would seem not. But I, I think that's what you think of here. Like, What are the reasons to hide an injury? It's to avoid being targeted when you go out into a game. And the other one is probably players not wanting to make excuses for themselves. And I can imagine that would be the camp that, that Paddy Cripps mm. would sit in. That's he, a he, huge part of it. Yeah, yeah. so he's huge. probably saying to the club, look, don't go, Teague, don't tell them I've got an yeah. injury. But I think that's where senior leaders in your footy club, be it the coach or other mentors that you have who have been through it before themselves, might give him advice of you don't yeah. have a lot to lose here. It's not going to harm your reputation or your brand or what your teammates think of you. I think it's within your interest that we, we just put it out there that this is your reality. This is where we need Jason Akamanis back because he was very good at telling <laughs> the media every injury his teammates had. He, Dr. He, he might as well just do the weekly press conference oh, back in my day. Okay. I wish but, he did. The, oh, the, <laughs> the concerning thing out of the presser was, yeah, the, the claim to not know. I mean, Patrick Cripps might not be having injections. The report may have been inaccurate. We, I don't know. Do we know it's an but, impact but injury would... or is it a stress fracture? Which which one was it? Do we, so Mick, it... Mick Gleeson wrote that it was an impact injury. Okay. There, that there was a collision. Because you can play with a like – I've had a broken transverse process, which is off like a wing off the back of your spine, and you can play oh, with them very <laughs> awkwardly. It's very hard. Um, it's like from a knee in the back or something like going back with the flight, Sam, you know, that sort of That's back, in, back in the old days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you can play with them, but you're sort of moving around a little bit, you know, with a big stiff back, but you can play with them and it is restrictive. So it, and he might be coming out of the back of those, which are about a month. So we say we don't, we don't play doctor here. We don't, we never. No. <laughs> the way it plays out though, there's a meeting every week where the coaching staff, match committee, all the medical staff sit in. And they go through every player that's carrying something. This is what their training load's mm. going to be. This is what their week looks like. This is their um, trajectory of what we expect to happen. And if there were injections or a player that had been getting injections, now not, th- that would be known. And if not for those club processes, you'd be having those conversations with your captain, I'd imagine, as you walk down the corridors. How you feeling, mate? Yeah, I've had a good week this week. It's not as sore. Oh, a bit bit rough. I'm still getting those in. You'd know. <laughs> I've been meaning to ask you all week, is there a cap squeeze at Carlton? No. Okay. I think so, it's delicate. So they have plenty of money to pay Cripps and Mackay. I think squeeze is the wrong term. But they've got some some big names, some big recruits tied up on big dollars. So Zach Williams, Patrick Cripps, he'll be tied to that. You've got Charlie Kerno at $800,000 a year. Harry Mackay will be looking at that. Cripps, just quickly, without having it absolutely confirmed, whisper is it'll be a four-year deal for him, perhaps announced sometime around the buy period. That's what the jungle drums are beating with at the moment. Too. Hopefully that's right. You can give us a call on the open line, one 736 736 for Southern Phone. Switch to Southern Phone. Simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile plans. A lot on the table to dissect out of crunch time, so your turn coming next ahead of Saturday. Saturday afternoons footy. Sam, terrific. Thanks, guys. Daisy and Lepper are in for the afternoon. This has been crunch time for the Western Werribee Auto Group. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. 
T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Kirby Haval stocks the all-new H6 and Jolion for your convenience.